Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special show will be highlighting one of the most spectacular musicians in the country music and gospel music scene. He's the 2011 country music piano keyboard player of the year, the Academy of Country Music piano and keyboard player of the year. And in 2010, the SGN Scoops Diamond Award for Instrumentalist of the Year. Gordon Moat. Gordon, how are you today, sir? Man, I'm doing great. Thank you. I was starting to wonder who you were introducing. <laughs> <laughs> well, your your uh, resume, as much as you'd like to Lou Holtz downplay it, is pretty impressive, sir. So con- congratulations to you and all your success. Well, I'm very grateful. To God be the glory. We're just, uh, I'm just trying to be a conduit and grateful for the gifts he's given me and grateful to be able to Make a living in this crazy music business. No doubt about it. Well, we're going to delve into a lot of the that that what you just said, the crazy part of the music industry. It's a very <laughs> fascinating thing for me, and I, I, I love music so much. One of the, the gifts that you're going to be able to provide us today is you, by definition, can speak to how and what music feels like. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Talk to us about, and I'm gonna. There's gonna be a lot of questions about feel here because I'm I'm personally fascinated by about four parts. Okay, what does the music feel like on stage at a very active and excited crowd? What's that feel like, man? It's uh, you know when you when you know that your songs are connecting with the crowd and and uh, you know it's getting past the front row um, mm. and there is an adrenaline. Uh, rush um, in the crowd and certainly that transfers to us as artists I wear a lot of hats Um, I travel as a Christian artist when I'm here in town I work as a studio musician I'm a producer produce a lot of stuff these days Hmm. grateful for those doors being opened I mean I, I I just wear tons of hats but when I'm when I'm an artist and I'm doing that thing um the audience participation is crucial to what we do because it allows us to understand that, hey, uh, music's getting past the front row. It's it's making a difference. Somebody is going to leave here and remember what I just said, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's something I sang or something that I said, but we've made a connection with them. And when you feel that energy, uh, it does transfer to stage and makes you want to do it again and again and again and again because it's making a difference it's not about just hearing yourself sing and play i could stay at home and do that and spend a whole lot less money not crank the bus (laughs) you know get the guys to go out there it's all about the connection you're making with somebody you write a song or you sing you you go to so much trouble to make an album and you you think about and pray about and write and listen to songs and all the, the the stuff you go through to put an album together, you know, that's one thing and you, you can be really proud of it and you can do what you think your crowd will buy. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean buy 
physically or stream, I mean, you want them to do that too because yeah. that keeps us traveling and keeps us doing what we do. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about buy, honestly, for me. What can I sell this group of people that they are going to understand? This honestly comes from my heart. Man, when you make that connection, it really is an adrenaline rush like no other. Yeah. Like to me, that's what, that's what music is to me. Yeah. Music is like a connection because somebody is taking the time to put pen to paper and note to music yeah. and pass on an experience, whether it be through love, pain, loss, etc. Sure. And everybody's dealing with those two emotions, love and pain and hurt, etc. You know, so yeah. at the end of the day, when you sense that somebody else is going through it too, yeah. and they're telling you their story and they've come out the other side, it gives you a new level of hope. You're right about that. Uh, you you wouldn't believe the stories that I hear because I always try to uh, shake hands and do meet and greets after the concert. But I, I mean, and we'll do some of those um, VIP things, but we also, uh, at the end of um, my concerts, whether we're playing an auditorium or a theater or a church or whatever the case, um, when I'm the artist, I always come out after and shake hands as long as people want to take pictures. You know, we stand at our merch table and just, uh, we just want to meet the people. We want to engage with them. And the stories that you hear about a song that maybe I had done in the evening uh, as part of the evening, or maybe a song from years ago that I haven't sang in a long time, but mm-hmm. these, uh, the, you know, a person maybe uh, knows my catalog and they might say such and such a song has made a huge difference. You know, they might say, A, it brought me to the Lord. It might, they might say, my mother died and, and the song you wrote about Alzheimer's disease and dementia, um, because she had that, it really gave me hope and, and got our whole family through a tough time or, or this, you know, so many, when, when you're writing them, sometimes you write them as therapy for yourself. Maybe you're going through something, but then when you share that and you're honest and you put your heart out on the line and someone else is affected in a positive way, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that, Hey, there is hope. There is encouragement. There is whatever, man, there's just nothing like that. Yeah. The ability, the ability to be vulnerable. Yeah. Is what really makes musicians, especially the great musicians, stand out because they're not afraid. Well, they might be afraid, but they push <laughs> they push through the fear of the story yeah. for a bigger purpose. And the, your ability to communicate and connect with not they don't have to be just your fans because they they didn't start as your fans. They had to hear your songs. That's first. right. That's exactly right. You know, so the ability for them to listen and be like, wow. That guy spoke to me. Mm. That's that has to be one of the most satisfying things in your music career, would you say? Oh, definitely. It's and you know, it's <clears throat> it's interesting because it's not just through the song that's sung. You know, a lot of times, you know, maybe if I've if I've played on a record that that um that somebody's really connected to, um you know, they say, well, like, the, for instance, the first number one country song I ever played on was the Alan Jackson song, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And uh, I remember on 9-11, I remember watching it and listening to all the the coverage, just like everybody else, and being on my way to a session, 
uh, to the studio. It was an all-day thing. I don't remember the artist. I don't remember anything except for thinking that whole day. Man, we are just, this is just silly. The world is in such turmoil right now and grieving the loss of all these people. And here we are going on about our business as if nothing happened. We're just trying to, to you know, help somebody else's career here and try to make a little money to support our families. And I remember praying that day, Lord, please allow me to do something. I don't even, I didn't even know what that meant. I just, I just prayed, Lord, please help me do something that will make a difference in, in this whole junk, all yeah. this stuff. I had no idea that we were going to, I mean, at that time I wouldn't even book to play on the Alan Jackson record. And, uh, the way that happened was kind of crazy too. But, um, uh, I remember we were tracking and we just had dinner and we came back into the control room and, uh, Alan's got his guitar and he's on this, he's sitting on the stool and he said, uh, Denise wanted me to play this for y'all. I don't know if it's any good or not, but I'm going to play it anyway. And just so I can tell her I did. And we all stood there and listened to him play and sing. Where were you when the world stopped turning? And time just froze. Uh, it's one of those memories that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's, and I have a few of those uh, studio memories and and memories as artists too. But that song made a connection with so many people, yeah. and that was a huge help in healing our country. And uh, you know, when Alan wrote it, I'm sure that it just spilled out of him, and he wasn't trying to write the next big hit or whatever. It just that's part of him as a songwriter. And so all of us, we write cause it's in us and it's got to come out of us. And, and sometimes it's yeah. somebody, something we can use and sometimes it's not, but, uh, you know, it's got to be done. So yeah. that's the way we get it out. I remember three songs specifically from that time frame. that one from Alan Jackson, the rising from Bruce Springsteen, yeah. which was another big one. And Joe Nichols wrote an awesome song right after it as well. That was pretty, uh, Pretty special. I can't remember the name of that I, song. Yeah, I and and I've <clears throat> played on all that Joe Nichols stuff, and uh, um, he had a he had a, uh, a, a song right around that time called "If Nobody Believed in You," which um, was uh, not so much about that, but it was about just just giving of yourself, no matter mm-hmm. what, and what you know if 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 you know how how would you how would you feel if nobody believed in you, so you, you need to take people seriously. It's a, it's a, just a yeah. killer, killer. So Joe's a great artist. Yes, too. he is. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and, and one of my recent, uh, podcast with Ashley Gorley, Ashley talked about, he can tell when he's in a session when it's going to be unbelievable. Yep. You can. Can can you describe to me what that feel like the feeling that you get when you're in a room with the, maybe with even people that you've never been in session with before? Yeah. But you get that everything every getting that little period. Everybody's feeling each other out, and then all of a sudden something happens. Yeah. That f- feels like magic. Gives you a little electricity in your skin. I remember that we cut the first hit on Dan and Shay, song called "From the Ground Up," and I remember hearing the demo, and Scott Hendricks was producing them at the time, and. Um, um, 
we heard the demo and uh, Scott and I've been friends for years and years and years. And, and I just said to him privately, I said, this song is killer. It, it is an amazing song, but we need to change the time signature and change, change the arrangement. And he says, what would you do to it? And I said, well, can I just give you and show you an idea? And so we went to the piano and, you know, I wouldn't say that to any, just any producer, but Scott and I've been, you know, up and down the road a few times. Sure. And uh, so, and, you know, not that I'm right all the time, but I just felt like this could be their big song, you know, and they were looking for a song. Man, can they ever sing? Oh, my gosh. Good, no doubt. But we, in my opinion, that day, we hadn't really cut the single. And I've been on enough hits to know uh, usually if we've cut it or not. And uh, so um, I, I told Scott, I said, man, it's a killer song. We just need... So he said, what would you do? And so I took him to the piano and I started playing him a little hook that I had in my head. Um, and then kind of the way I thought, and he said, holy cow, let me go get the boys. And so he said, I'm going to let everybody else go for about an hour and let's, let's, let's suss this out. So uh, Shay came in, started singing. I kind of showed him how the phrasing would change. And we, we, we put it together, and then we went in and cut it. And it was almost like, like I, I can't even explain. It just came together so quickly, like it was so natural. And it, it was, I mean, it ended up being their first big one. But the way Shay felt it once we really kind of got into the groove of the song, uh, and I knew from that, I mean, I knew he was a killer singer. I'd met him first when he was like 13 or 14 years old. And his family was doing a gospel record, and I just happened to play on it. It was just a little independent gospel record. Boy, if you think he can sing, you should hear his sister. Wow. Um, but, you know, uh, fast forward, and they've won some Grammys, and we've I've played on a bunch of their songs, and it's not me, it's not the other musicians, and it's not just the song it's all that together the song has to come first you got to have a killer song and that's why the ashley gorleys of the world are so valuable to us because ashley ashley's one of those guys uh one of the most talented songwriters i know um and i've been fortunate to get to play on a lot of his tunes over the years but ashley's one of those guys that can write um for the commercial side but still it it has some artistry about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like he's sold out when you hear an Ashley Gorley song. It's so commercial and so hooky and so radio ready. And yet musicians love his songs. Um, n- not to say that everybody sells out if they have a hit. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. But it just, there are guys that can connect on so many levels. And Ashley's one of those guys. That is so cool. Like, to me, you know, every athlete wants to be a musician, and every musician wants to be an athlete. Oh, dude, I want to meet all the – I mean, I'm such a huge sports fan. I, you're you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Like, so t- to me, like, I grew up – I, I, my first major band that impacted me was Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah. So I'm a teenager, and, the, and I come from a small town that's pretty close-minded, and there's never been anybody more rebellious <laughs> – than Axl Rose in, <laughs> in my life that I've That's seen. That's true. And he he spoke to me. Like, how, how he felt about where he came from and was is exactly how I was feeling 
then, and then it evolved into Pearl Jam, and now I'm I'm a gigantic Tool. Anyth- right? Anything that Maynard Keenan does, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. And so when I start looking back, people ask me like, "Why do I love music so much?" And it's because like music is like a soundtrack of my life. Like it's it steer- like I re- I hear a song and it takes me to a place. Yeah. That I've been, and when I'm listening to mu- new music, it cements my place. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, and right. and to me, I am a I hear guitar more than I hear any other instrument. Mm -hmm. And I love a great storyteller. Me too. Nashville is such a great place for story songs. I mean, Nashville is the home of some of the greatest songwriters in the world. But, I mean, Nashville is the home of the great story song, if if you want to know my opinion. And, uh, you know, going back to what you said about music, you hearing a song and you remembering where you were, or it kind of, you know, uh, on that subject, mm-hmm. Dan Huff changed my whole career, helping me to realize just that one thing. We were doing a Rascal Flats uh, session, uh, and we were tracking a song called Ellsworth, Kansas. Now, later that day, we would track one of their biggest hits, a song called My Wish For You. And had we not had the conversation earlier in the day, I'm not sure that my wish for you would have turned out exactly like it did as far as my part is concerned. But uh, I was still, that was, I was still young in my career. Um, I had played on a few big hits, um, but I mean, even today I'm trying to make sure that I belong. I mean, we're all insecure yeah. And we're all trying to, okay, you've done all these things, but what have you done for me lately? lately. So we're always trying to make sure that we stay relevant. But even in, but in, in back in those days, it was an unhealthy nervousness that I brought into a lot of the sessions. And Dan Huff, who is one of the greatest producer, guitar player, musician, I mean, does it all, songwriter, um, and he's been around for a long, long time, and yet he is still very relevant and just at the top of his game always. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all are just in awe of Dan. So when we get to work with him, it's it's a really cool thing, and he has our total respect, and 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 uh, we have his respect, and we we it's a good it's a good thing. But we were doing this tune called Ellsworth, Kansas, and uh, I was doing this intro because it was a piano intro. And Dan came over to me and he said, man, you know, he said, I know you were called a prodigy when you were a kid. So this maybe doesn't apply to you. He said, but your friends that played piano or liked to kind of play at the piano, like and pick out something they heard on the radio, what songs did they play? And I thought about it and I said, well, they played Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. They play, you know, a lot of those faithfully open arms, you mm-hmm. know, John, all the Jonathan Kane intros, you know. Oh, yeah. They played, you know, Home Sweet Home, Motley Crue. They played, you know, I, and so I started naming a few pop songs that I remembered my friends would try to play. And he said, what's the common denominator of all those intros? And I thought about it and I said, they're simple. He said, bingo, they're simple. He said, what you need to do is concentrate on finding a hook, finding something that's simple. You don't have to prove you belong. You belong. So just forget about that. Now, 
you know, know your audience and play to them. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can come up with something that everybody wants to know, learn to play and can play, something that's accessible, it will help you play on a whole bunch of hit records because those songs are memorable. A lot of times because of the intro. The intro comes on the radio, bam, you know what song it is. Yeah. And so later in that day, we cut a little tune on them called My Wish For You. Boom, 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 boom. Just a little bitty melody that fades in and is the intro. And then, you know, the chords happen and Gary starts singing. And, and I, I owe so much of my career to that one conversation with Dan Huff. That's beautiful. Truly. What a great story. Wow. You know, you've had the opportunity to work with the who's who of country music and, and gospel music. You know, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, <laughs> Bill Gaither. Not many people recognize Bill Gaither, especially in my world. Unbelievable. You know, Blake Shelton, Darius Rucker, Dan and Shay, Brad Paisley, Reba, Martina McBride, Rascal Flats. And, and, and of course, you just mentioned Jonathan Cain, who I've taught a lot in, in, my, in my past. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Obviously, you're not trying to select favorites or somebody better than another. But is there a, gr- a handful, one, two, five people that you've been with that are just so magical to you that you just cannot wait to play with? Yeah. Uh, Lionel Richie. Wow. Lionel Richie was just off the charts. Uh, um, getting to play with Bob Seger was wow. amazing. Uh, just again, and that dude's got a photographic memory. Like he remembered, uh, we saw him at a uh, country music hall of fame induction thing that I was a part of playing for um, someone. And uh, when pig Robbins, who's another Nashville studio musician, historic records that he's played on, he's also blind. And um, so you know, Pig was a huge influence on me. Hargis Robert uh, Robbins, uh, we all everybody called him Pig, but uh, and still still do call him Pig. He still plays and still great um, in his seventies. But he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Asked me to play for him, um, and w- several piano players played, and I played with Crystal Gale. Don't it make my brown eyes blue? Because that was a Pig intro. Da, 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 da. You know, just a, he had so many intros that everybody knows. But anyway, uh-huh. um, Bob Seeger was there and we were talking about the record and man, you know, it was so fun and all this fun stuff. And my wife walks up and he goes, hi, Kimberly. And he's only met her one time and it was like, you know, two years ago. Wow. So that guy, you know... Either he has a photographic memory or he's just good at remembering things. I think another guy that, that um, kind of takes over a room and he doesn't even mean to, it's just it's an, it's amazing to watch him and be in the studio with him is James Taylor. Wow. Um, that dude. Uh, it's just, they, these guys, man, they are classic stars because – of their personalities. You mentioned Brad Paisley, uh-huh. Brad and Kim. You can't meet two better people. Josh, uh, Josh Turner and his family. Um, you know, you just truly, I have been so, so blessed. I just, uh, 
was in the studio working on the new Lady Annabellum uh, record, Hillary and Charles and all them. They're, they're just nuts. It's so talented, but they're just so down to earth. And mm-hmm. I kind of dig that, you know, like um, there's a, I can't think of anybody who I've worked with and I've, you know, gotten to work with pretty much everybody. You know, Kimberly said, you know, I love it when you work with George Strait because he looks me right in the eye when he talks to me. He's not looking to see if somebody else more important is coming up. Or when you're talking to him, even though you can't see him, he's looking right at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I can't think of really anybody that that I've worked with that didn't just come off genuine. I mean, you know, I text these guys. We're friends. We talk about, you know, when Clemson beat Alabama last year, I'm a huge Alabama fan. And you know, football, basketball, mm-hmm. baseball, whatever it is. And Josh sent me a text and said, can we still be friends? <laughs> when South Carolina beat Alabama in 2010, I, you don't even want to know the text I got from Darius, man. He was, he was, he was ruthless, but, uh, we have such a good, that is such a big part of why I think Nashville music has had the staying power. It has because it's honest and it starts in the studio with the relationship with the producer and the artist and the studio musicians and everybody who's on the team trying to make a song get above the noise, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a team effort. It truly is. It's just like it's just like uh, you know, a football team if 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 the offensive line is protecting their quarterback and they're they're making holes and they're blocking like they should and the receivers are running the right routes and everybody's doing their job, not trying to do the other guy's job, but doing their job, a team most of the time is going to be very successful. And that's kind of the same thing with us, knowing what we're supposed to do, getting all about our business, helping each other, uh, keeping each other accountable and getting the job done. Team building, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing. Without a doubt. Wow, that is so cool. You mentioned Bill Gaither. Many of the go- – I mean, he's his, he's gospel music royalty. Yes. And me being in the Christian music circles as well, um, it, I've produced – I'm working on my third Gaither vocal band album that, I've, that I'm producing. I'm starting to do um, a lot more producing than I ever have. I enjoy that. And I do a lot of stuff in the Christian music field. I would love to do some things, and I have done a few things in the secular world, um, but most of the high-profile things I've produced are in the Christian music field. I certainly hope I get an opportunity to do some things that are a little bit more visible in Mm -hmm. the secular music uh, field, but I'm just kind of grateful for wherever God puts me and the doors he opens, you know, And uh, but I thought it was cool that you mentioned Bill because he and Gloria are truly music royalty and it's fu- it's funny the reason i even bring it up is because i remember cutting a josh turner record and a few years back and bill gaither came by the studio and it shut it down i mean everybody all these guys josh and 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 all the musicians they had, a lot of them had never met him and so they were like kids Getting in line to meet Bill Gaither. I just thought that was really neat to watch because their their parents loved that music. And and those kids, you know, we as kids had heard it all of our lives. And so he's an icon. So, I mean, basically it stopped it. It just totally stopped the session. 
and and everybody wanted to meet Bill. So uh, it's cool that we still have him around. At 83 years old, he yeah. still has more energy than anybody you can imagine. That's funny you say that. So when I did a I did a podcast um, earlier in my in the year with comedian Jeff Allen and Jeff Allen. Oh my gosh, I love Jeff. So. Jeff told me that Gaither gave him his big opportunity. He did, yeah. And how he said the exact same thing. The dude's got more energy than anybody on the planet. And he's, he's nice. so kind and so supportive. And he he really helped Jeff's confidence. Yeah. He will. He'll help your confidence. He'll tell you what you're doing wrong. But he's very honest if he feels like he's a teacher at mm-hmm. heart. You yeah. know, he was an English teacher in school for a lot of years then their songwriting kind of took over and, and, uh, you know, they, they started chasing that and, and, uh, had the trio and then the vocal band and then the homecoming series, which was kind of an accident and, uh, has uh, turned into be turned into a happy accident for sure. But, uh, he's given a lot of people their start. And what's so great about producing with him, um, is, uh, this, it's the same thing, you know, um, uh, he saw something in me, uh, a, a, a gift, a talent, uh, uh, ears, whatever he saw. And he said, you know, I want, I want that. I want you to do our next album. And, uh, in the Christian world, that's as high as you can go in the gospel world. And, and that certainly opened a lot of doors production wise for me. Uh, he kind of launched my artist career. Uh, I was I had a, s- a single out on the radio, and he had me come out on the Gaither tour. He didn't owe me anything. He had me come out and play in front of about 15,000 people, introduce me, told them how much they were going to love me. And by the time he had introduced me, they did love me just because uh, he said they would. That's awesome. And then when Anthony Berger, their piano player, passed away, uh, I ended up going out with them and traveling with them for about six years as an artist and as the accompanist on the, uh, the piano player on the tour. And uh, that was amazing. I learned a lot doing that. Uh, still, you know, kept doing sessions. And I've just, you know, I've been so fortunate to be able to be on a lot of stages in a lot of studios with a lot of different artists from different backgrounds, different genres. But at the end of the day, man, it's still the same. It's music and it's honest music being made by honest musicians and songwriters who just want to communicate and make people feel something. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. I love it. I think that it's important for me to pass on, because this is part of what I, what I love to talk about is that not everything goes great for people. Um, (laughs) And perseverance and the ability to overcome struggle, obstacles, uh, most people don't recognize that struggle, loss, pain are essential for growth and success. You are blind. And for some people, that becomes a limit. It became ob- it's obvious to me in, my, in your presence that it is not a limit for you. It is a vehicle that allows you a, gr- a greater sense of feel for what it is that you do. But there has to be some limitations, obviously. Dealing with this, what were some of the low points that you had to pull yourself out of and realize that you are a fantastic person, whether you can see or not, and you took it to another level and you're impacting people's lives? I think we go through 
low times for sure. Anybody does. I certainly, you know, in school, um, when all my friends started driving, you know, I thought, man, this sucks, you know. Mm. Uh, and you always kind of felt like the third wheel. If you were going with somebody, you had to, you know, grab onto their elbow and here we go. And most of the time you felt like you were wanted, but there were times when my, your insecurity would take over and you're like, man, you know, I'm in there. You know, just we all as teenagers are insecure. I remember being me and a few, uh, uh, five others were the first to mainstream into the public school system. Um, before that, we went to the uh, Alabama School for the Blind in Talladega, Alabama. Hmm. In 1977, um, 77-78, um, I was a third grader, and I uh, that we mainstreamed into the public school system, and that we were pioneers in that, buddy. Let me tell you. Well, Christopher Columbus, I'm sitting right in front of him. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of times we didn't have. Most of the time, we didn't have the Braille book for the print text that the class had. If it was in Braille, it was maybe the first edition, and they were using the second edition. If it were not in Braille, many times it might be on cassette. But try to find page 257 on a cassette tape. I dare you. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Just trying to, I mean... So, and you had to memorize so much stuff because back in those days, we didn't have computer keyboards. We didn't have those things. We had those old Perkins Braille writers, which I still have one. Mm -hmm. And when you type on it, it makes more noise than, you know, a, a transfer truck. Bam, 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 bam. So you can't take notes in class. So I had to memorize so much. And while at the time it was such a bummer and I had to study so hard to keep up. I was a good student, mm -hmm. but just I just didn't, man, I didn't have anything in my favor. But fast forward to today, and I'm grateful for those memorization skills that that taught me. Because when we go into the studio, for instance, um, the guys will get charts so that they know the chords. And in Nashville, we use the Nashville number system. Um now, on some dates, there are what you call letter charts or what normal people see as, as music. But most of the time in Nashville, we use the number system. And um, may, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, uh, here's a 30-second definition. So if you're in the key of C, duh, that's a C. Uh, if you're in the key of C, Bum, that's a G. That would be one, two, three, four, five. That's a five chord. Okay. Four, that'd be F. Mm, three, three, mm, three minor or three major. Da, da. But usually if you're in the key of C, the three would be minor unless it's, uh, you know, what, what some of the country music guys call an off chord. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but so we use the, the number system so that if we need to change keys, oh, that's not the right key for me. I think I need to sing a half step higher. The whole thing doesn't have to be rewritten. You just use the same numbers and raise her up a half. Uh -huh. um, so anyway, the, they get a chart. And then they'll play the demo or maybe whoever we're recording will play on their guitar and say, here's how I'm hearing it. You know, this is the song. And so I have to hear it and memorize it, hear it once. And because the guys have the charts, so they're going to go in and play it. So I have to be ready. Well, one of the things that was really difficult was to try and convince this town 
that I could do that. And, uh, you know, they want somebody with experience when you're cutting a record, right? Mm-hmm. Or even cutting demos. We've got to have somebody with experience. The only way you get experience is experience. Well, I was very lucky that I had some great people flying my flag. And I got that experience, and I was able to prove to the producers of this town that I could hear it once and play it. And sometimes that's kind of nerve wracking, Mm -hmm. but people make fun of me. There's a funny story that involves Faith Hill. We were doing a Faith Hill record a few years back. It's been quite a few years back. It was, um, I always kid people. It was when the Titans were really good. Now they're good again this (laughs) year. Thank God. God. Uh, They've had a nice run, but, um, I, I always get them when the Titans were good. It was a Monday morning, and we were talking about the Titans, uh, you know, back in the Steve McNair, Eddie George, you know, Frank mm-hmm. Wycheck days, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, the song, the demo was playing, and I was just talking. We were just talking about the game, you know, and listening to the song, talking about the game. Well, I can listen and talk at the same time. We went out there and played the song. It was beautiful. It was a big old power ballad, Faith Singer. Just sang her tail off. It was just great. It was just, you know, and of course she just doing a scratch vocal, but it was already just killer. And uh, so so we do the thing. We come back in the studio, working on the track. I'm listening, thinking maybe I should add something. You know, I'm just trying to figure out where we are. And I'm standing there and Faith walks up to me and she says, you know, you really made me mad earlier. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've made Faith Hill mad. Of course, this wasn't the first time I'd ever worked with her. But, uh, I said, I did? Really? And I was trying to think, what did I do? She said, yeah. She said, this is a big ballad. And it's. It, I thought it would be difficult, you know? And she said, and you're such a huge part of it. And we're playing the demo, and you're just standing there talking. And she said, and then you go in there and nail it. She said, I don't understand that. She said, that's just amazing. I thought you were just blowing it off, but you can do all that at one time. And she said, I wish I could do that. And I thought about it for a second. I said... Well, I wish I could drive. <laughs> and that's kind of become a, a funny story that people like to tell because it's kind of gotten around town. But, um, you know, we all have gifts and, and uh, mine just happens to be uh, talking about whatever and listening to the demo and kind of it going through osmosis and being able to to play it. But there have definitely been down times in my life, you know, times like right now, for instance, I'll just tell you, the country music industry has has shifted so much that most of what um, most records nowadays don't really have a piano player per se or a keyboard player per se. A lot of it is programmed and you got guys who are very talented at that um, and they've made a niche for themselves in the market. And there's some incredibly talented guys. Uh, Dave Cohen is one, Charlie Judge. Uh, they're so good. Uh, Dave Dorn, um, wonderful musicians. Great uh, d- as far as knowing those textures and sounds. That's kind of left me behind because being not being able to see. Um, and, and I use gadgets all the time. Computers, you mm-hmm. know, a PC, a Mac, an iPhone. I have an iPhone right here. It was talking to me just a while ago. Uh, I'm a gadget guy, but now in Pro Tools or some of those different... Uh, uh, there are so many layers of screens. Sure. And so voiceover doesn't speak all of that yet. So I'm not able to do, I know what to do if I could see, but I'm not able to do. So the session thing for me has changed a little bit. 
I'm not in demand like I once was. I still get to play on some quite a quite a few things, and I'm not complaining. But it has passed me by a little bit in that way, hmm. and and so that's kind of a bummer uh, because I still want to be I still want to be a part of all that, sure. you know. And uh, but what do we do? We take what God's given us. And we say, you know what? We're going to do the very best we can. There is a plan. There is a reason. There is all this is going to make sense one of these days. And for me, it's given me more time to produce. It's given me more time to develop artists that I believe in. It's given me a little more time to write. It's given me more time to... And then when I do get to play, uh, which I don't want it to sound like I don't get to play on sessions anymore. I get to play on my fair share. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very grateful. I'm still... You can still hear me on the radio, and I'm very grateful. Um, but when I do get to play on things, I think I'm more fresh, and I bring something a little different now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so, but yeah, that's kind of a bummer a little bit. Uh, just the, the blind, my blindness has never kept me from doing anything. You know, I've always found a way around whatever it is that I'm trying to get around. There will be a way around this at some point Yeah. um, if I have to create it myself. But uh, I'm grateful to get to work and do what I do. And I'm grateful that God has allowed me to use um, my gifts and maybe what I don't have as far as my sight to bring him glory and show people that, Hey, we've all got an excuse. We've all got something that could keep us from realizing our full potential. And, uh, so we got to figure out what that is and just say, God, I put it in your hands. I'm going to go for it. Cause we only have one time to do this thing called life. Yep. We don't get any uh, do-overs. That's right. And uh, that's the whole reason I did the football thing and the baseball thing. Um, you know, I, I it got a lot of television coverage because it was so out of the box and so crazy. But that's why I did the announcing at CPA for the football games. And I had done baseball for a couple of years. But baseball is a lot easier to do because you – play the kids walk up songs you announce the young man's name and of course you 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 do some pregame things and and that's pretty easy but baseball moves at a slower pace i love baseball mm-hmm. and then you introduce the visitors you make sure you have their names right you do the starting lineups but you but football's a whole lot different because it's moving all the time yeah. it's moving all the time and when our athletic director mike elson came to me about possibly doing the football announcing for the PA at, at uh, Christ Prez, I kind of laughed about it. I said, I don't, I think you got the wrong guy. He said, no, I think I have the right guy. And uh, the gentleman that had been doing it, uh, Jack Cothran was so good and he'd been doing it so long um, that they, when he decided to uh, not do it anymore, um, they, uh, they didn't know, I think didn't know what they were going to do. And then, uh, they came to me and anyway, one thing led to another. And Mike said, well, would you just think about it? Maybe pray about it and see how you feel about it. And the longer we talked, he said, how would you do it if you were going to do it? He just wouldn't le- leave it alone. <laughs> and I said, well, we'd have to have some spotters, you know, we'd have to, he said, how many? And I thought about it and I said, well, if we had two on offense and one on defense, he said, what would they do? 
And I said, well, I don't know exactly, but I feel like we need somebody to tell me exactly what's happening as the play's going down. Then I can be telling the crowd what just happened. The guy on defense is telling me who made the tackle as I'm telling the crowd what happened. I'm listening to him. And then I say, you know, the tackle made by number 42, da-da-da-da-da. And then the next guy, offense, is down and distance guy. And a lot of times uh, you'll be in the stands, I'm sure. There are people that are listening to this. Um, I'm about to explain something to you. A lot of times the PA announcer, whether it's a high school game or a college game or whatever, they might not announce the down and distance right away because a lot of times the official is spotting the ball again. You know, the ball is spotted, and then they re-spot it. Mm-hmm. You know, guy comes in, moves the ball. We we kind of got caught with our pants down a couple of times because I would say, you know, second and six from the 41, and, and then they'd move it. Ah, uh, it looks more like seven, you know. <laughs> you make a joke about it. But, you know, it's a, so uh, – but that's the whole reason that I did that was because I wanted those young men to know uh, – that, hey, I'm up here doing something nobody said could be done. Now, there's no excuse for you not giving your best effort out there. I love that. And uh, so I did it more for the fan, more for, I mean, they needed somebody, so I tried to step up. I've always wanted to be the dad that was able to, you know, I can't get out there and coach kids and run around and do all those things. And I've always been sad about that. But um, I think when God gives you an opportunity, even if it seems crazy, man, go for it. Just just put yourself out there. And it ended up getting news coverage from Fox 17. Alex Apple did a great piece on it. Uh, Emily Luxon from News Channel 5, she was mm-hmm. amazing too. She did a great piece. Uh, and, you know, uh, it wasn't about, hey, look how cool Gordon Mode is. It was, hey, look how awesome God is. And that's what it's all about. No matter what room, what kind of room I'm in, whether it's me as an artist, me as a session player, me as a dad, me as a friend, whatever, wherever I am, I don't want people to leave that room and say, man, Gordon is awesome. Man, look at all the stuff he does. Man, it's great. I want them to say, "How look how awesome God is. Man, look at how he's working through Gordon and making making ways for him and, and, and encouraging people and influencing people. And man, we can all do that. That's beautiful. Tony Robbins and Charles Branson both have been quoted in their books by stating that when given a great opportunity that you have no idea how you're going to do it, say yes and figure it out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Say yes and figure it out. I, I, that's what I try to encourage here at the school as a, as a coach and a mentor is don't fear opportunities. Don't fear or think that you can't do something. Say yes and figure out how, because that's how you grow. Mm. That's how you. That's how something special happens in your life. You got to move out of the comfort zone. You got to know what you're good at, but you got to challenge your your talents because you're so talented in so many ways. Yeah. To and it's not just playing the piano. You're more than a piano player. So <laughs> I'm more than a golf instructor, and that's the thing that I, I embraced early in my life is I'm going to say yes to essentially everything yeah. and figure out how to do it after I say yes. I want to be an example to my wife and my children, you know, and leave a legacy of always giving it your best. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important, not just within our circle of influence, but our families, you yeah. know, they need to see dad getting after it. Yep. 
and not using his blindness as an excuse. Uh, and let that be a lesson to all of us to not let anything get in our way of realizing our full potential. God put us on this earth to do something. Let's figure out what that something is because it's only then that we really are fulfilled, both spiritually and otherwise. Right. It's so important. And, and you'll never know the impact that just a kind word, a smile, somebody at the concession stand serving a hamburger with a smile. I mean, seriously, all of us, whatever. I mean, I'm sure there are people, I don't know what I do. I don't know what I can do. Yeah. But everybody has a gift. Maybe you love to bake cakes. Maybe you love to do flower arrangements. Maybe you love to to run errands for people. Maybe you thought, man, there's so many gifts out there and all of us have something. So that's my thing, man. I just encourage people to get after it and okay. see what God will do. It'll be amazing. You'll be, you'll be shocked. No doubt. Well, as we shift into the second part of the show, which we talk about the things that recharge your batteries, the things that kind of, after all of this producing and playing and <laughs> traveling and touring, you're kind of gassed after you get off a tour and no you're, doubt. Al you're always looking for something to kind of like recharge your batteries. Historically speaking, it is the things that bring a lot of people together for like-minded things like sports, music, family gatherings. Yeah. So we're going to, because we've been talking about music a lot, we're going to shift into sport. What's your favorite sports team, sports players in your lifetime? Well, I'm a huge Alabama fan. I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama. And so... Um, you know, I've, you have to choose when you're born, whether you're going to be for Bama or Auburn. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, my kids are big Alabama fans and they've never lived in Alabama. <laughs> uh, we go watch the football team, the basketball team, you know, we big baseball fans. We, we love it. Um, I love, we love going and watching the Braves. I've been a Braves fan since I was a little kid. You know, because back in those days, they were all the games were on TBS. And, but I listened to the radio, you know, the radio calls, you know, Ernie Johnson, Skip yeah. Carey, Pete Van Weren, you know, those cats. And now, uh, you know, Jim Powell uh, is just great. And, you know, he's had different people along with him. Uh, Jeff Francoeur, who's done some radio and television. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe Simpson is still a part of that. Uh so there's nothing better, more relaxing to me than coming home, getting out on the back porch and turning on the Braves game when it's spring or summer, yeah. man. And it's just watching some baseball. We're big. Like I said, we're big football fans. We were, you know, we love uh, Nate Oates at Alabama and what he's starting to build there. Um, I was also a student at Jacksonville State before I transferred to Belmont, so I watched the OVC, yeah. you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I, of course, we're – I don't know that I, I've mentioned CBA several times as we sit here on the Ensworth campus. Um, I sh we should tell our listeners that I am wearing my CPA garb here <laughs> and i haven't been thrown out yet that's right here as we as we sit here on the campus of uh, Innsworth university <laughs> uh, but, um but we tr truly uh, the the uh we we love to watch, go watch drew's basketball team yeah. and listen to the, the the games online when we man when i'm traveling you know the nfhs network has opened up a whole new world yeah, for us you no know doubt. And uh, so I'm so grateful because, you know, um, 
I mentioned to you that I call, uh, I announced the baseball team too, but uh, I was on a tour during a lot of the playoff run last year for CPA baseball. And uh, so, uh, you know, it was uh, fun to, to have uh, those games online. And mm. so I'm a huge, to, to say the least, I follow a lot of teams. We follow the Titans big time. And uh, up until here recently, it's been tough to watch, but I watch them anyway. Every game, yeah, man, no you just doubt. suffer, you know, through the – but this year they've uh, caught fire and, and they seem to um, – uh, you know, when Tannehill came in, and, man, nobody nobody is a bigger Marcus Mariota fan than I am. I love what he stands for. Mm-hmm. And he will go somewhere and most likely be a Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, uh, You know, it just – I hate it didn't work out for him here. Uh, but Tannehill has the team. They believe in him. Yeah. They they trust him. And of course, I'm not you know proud of Derrick Henry by any <laughs> means. But you know they finally figured out how to feed the monster yeah. and get him the care. So yes, to to recharge my batteries to kind of clear my mind. I love sports. I'll tell you what recharges my battery more than anything is just being around my family. Mm-hmm. You know, me and the boys get out there on the back porch and watch the game on TV or listen to it or whatever. Um, I've been married to the most beautiful girl in the world, my wife, Kimberly, for 27 years. And that's she's, you know, whether I'm in the studio all day or whether I've been on the road and come home, you know, I have I have friends that don't want to go home. They want to go somewhere else, anything yeah. but go home. But, man, all I want to do is get home because she's my best friend. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing like, you know, uh, we're, she is uh, in the middle of planning a wedding. My daughter, my 23-year-old, she's my oldest, Samantha, is getting married in May. And so we're really excited about that. Parker is next. He's 20, and he's a sophomore at Sanford University in Birmingham. Go Bulldogs. And then Ashton is still a student at CPA. He's a sixth grader. And he's uh, 12, and he has he's just begging me, Dad, you have to keep announcing the football games until I graduate. It's like, well, buddy, that's going to be six more years. <laughs> they may fire me by then. I may They may get sick of me. But he said, well, you, you have to announce my name because uh, his nickname, he's an offensive – he's a guard and, and plays offensive line in and, and sixth grade. And so I've, I've took to calling him Smashton. Instead of asking, <laughs> and he likes that, so he wants me to be. But uh, yeah, man, that's there's no better way to recharge the battery than the family thing. That's the most important thing. You know, music is what I do. It's not who I am. Yeah. My family is the most important thing. It's funny. You know, so like, Alabama Crimson Tide has a pretty marked etch on my uh, my brain because the very <laughs> first game that I ever watched was the 79 Sugar Bowl with the goal line standing Penn State? Against, against my team, Penn State Nittany Lions. <laughs> um, and Penn State, you know, Bear Bryant, Paterno oh, were man. such huge friends. Legends. And, the, and, and the, the legendary games that they played throughout the 70s and the 80s, even in the early 90s. Some, the block kick. Yeah. The, the block kick. Uh, uh, I remember listening to the call. Uh, was it 89? I think so. 89. And I remember uh, listening to the call and – it was Eli Gold and Jerry Duncan on the call. Jerry Duncan was a former offensive lineman back in the 60s, and he was the color guy for Eli Gold in Eli's early days. And 89, I want to say, was Eli's first year huh. to, to call the Bama games. 
might have been 88, but I want to say it was 89. Anyway, it was somewhere in that area. But uh, Jerry Duncan knocked Eli out of the chair. (laughs) It's blocked, Eli! It's blocked! It's blocked! It's blocked! And, uh, you know, so I'll never forget that. You know, those calls... Those legendary calls, you know, the Van Tiffen kick yep. with Paul Kennedy. It's good. And Doug Layton. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's yeah. good. You know, th- there are some legendary calls. You know, the Jim Fife, who used to do the Auburn games, uh, you know, passed away. And then they lost Rod Bramlett, too. But those two guys are great calls. You know, the, the most horrible play ever. The kick six, but that's a great call from Rod Bramlett, you know, and Stan White, you know. So the 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 guys that paint the pictures for us on radio, so good, so amazing. You know, Chris Stewart is the Alabama basketball voice. He does some football stuff too. He's been very sick, and and he's uh, he's back at the microphone now. But you know, he uh, if anybody follows Chris, you know that the the road he's been on, he had a stroke and Mm -hmm. then recovered from that, and then. Uh, had to have some heart surgery and then caught uh, he got got really really sick as a result of being in the hospital and was actually in the hospital for over three months and Golly. Uh, but now he's back and better than ever and uh, those guys man you just uh, m- my dear friend Andy Bertram is now doing the Auburn games was Rod's best friend and cohort you know did mm-hmm. they, they did baseball together for years and Andy's been a part of the broadcast team for a long, long time, but now he's the lead guy, you know. So uh, those guys, for sighted people too, but especially those of us who can't see the game, they paint such a wonderful picture. So you turn the you turn the sound down on the TV, and you're watching it with people, or if they've got the sound up, you put your headphones on and listen to those guys make the calls. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So it's interesting. I've I've despised Alabama. <laughs> A very large percentage <laughs> of my life, right? So I went to Mississippi State. and The but, Cowbells. Yeah, that's right. So my freshman year, I had a scholarship, and one of the requirements for my scholarship is I needed to work one football game. So what do I get? <laughs> I get the Alabama lot. <laughs> uh, on my, so it's November 13th is my birthday, and we're playing Alabama. And little do I know that one of my best friends in my future – is going to be the quarterback at Alabama, Brian Bergdorf. Oh, sure. Yeah, so, so that was back when he was playing? Yeah. Oh, so, my gosh. So Brian's a very good friend of mine, and we're partners in a water company called Defiance Fuel. And he's spectacular. L- love the guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, that day I realized that I didn't – I actually respect the heck out of Alabama fans and the way they play the game. It's a great tradition there, too. I just – didn't like the fact they beat Penn State in a bowl game that cost them a national championship. And Brian Bergdorf got his opportunity because of an injury. That's right. And I remember people, you know, wanting to get rid of, you know, he's he's terrible, and then let's play Brian Bergdorf. And then, <laughs> and then you know, the first string goes out, and then Brian Bergdorf comes in and plays a game. And I believe his first game was, if I remember right, it was against Arkansas. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it was Arkansas. You have checked me on that, mm-hmm. but um, I don't remember things like I used to. But And then, of course, you know, we, uh, we ended up winning, I think, but 
everybody – there's so many armchair quarterbacks, you know. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, – I'm sure I'm sure that Brett Darty and the guys at 104.5 The Zone, you know, uh, uh, Brett and Blake Fulton do announce um, for the NFHS Network for yeah. CPA. But I'm sure that guys like them – are so grateful <laughs> for the people that want to call in and, and and tell everybody how it should have been because that sells ads for oh, some it reason. Sure does. No it's crazy. Question. No question about it. That's that's fantastic. Um, music wise, outside of what you've done, have you ever been to? What was your favorite concert you've ever been to? Ooh, um, man, I've been to some good ones. Um, Bruce Hornsby concert that i saw the first time i saw him live was crazy just crazy Golly, man uh, i remember seeing um chicago and bela fleck and the fleck tones open for him back in the early 90s when nobody knew who bela fleck was and i remember him coming out i saw him in birmingham at the oak mountain amphitheater outdoor oh yeah thing you know and what we were place. i went with a good friend and we were sitting there and we were both musicians and I remember, I mean, I'm a huge Chicago fan now, mm-hmm. but I remember Bela <laughs> playing, and I remember thinking, man, Chicago's going to be opening for him one of these days, because he was so, it was that undeniable talent. Yeah. It was just all over him, you know, and uh, I remember that. The first concert I ever saw was Amy Grant and um, Philip Bailey. Mm-hmm. Philip Bailey, you know, with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Uh, had the big hit with uh, Phil Collins at that time. She's an easy lover. So yeah. get a hold on you, believe it. Um, it but they played in Huntsville uh, at the Von Braun Civic Center. Uh-huh. And for it was the Unguarded Tour. And, uh, man, that was such a great tour. Um, and, and now kind of yeah, getting to meet amy and know you know what she's all about Uh she's so precious but back in you know back in those days you know i was i never even dreamed that i would get to meet and work with the people that i've worked with i just loved it so much i couldn't get enough of it and i tell kids when i go speak at a college or something belmont will have me from time to time because i'm graduated from there and, Uh and i'll tell kids you know, if you've got a plan B, then that's what you should do because the music business is so tough. And if you're going through the motions trying to get in and get your songs heard or or work for this company or that company, you want to do PR for this or, or, or graphic design or if you, whatever your talent is, you know, you want to do sound on the road or be an engineer in the studio – Whatever you think your passion is, if you have a plan B, you're always going to kind of be saying to yourself, well, if this don't work out, I could do this. And I tell them, if you got a plan B, you should just go do that because it's not going to be easy and you're going to be really tempted to go for that plan B. The only way that you should be chasing this thing is if you can't live without it. It's interesting. Greg Harrington, who was just here just a second ago, said that he's never had a plan B in his life. Me either. I don't know how to do anything else. It's so so funny that you say that, like just like that. Another, the final piece of the entertainment for me. I am such a huge wine fan. 
I, 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 of all, of all the things, it's hard to believe that Mississippi State would have wine appreciation really? as a class. I did not and know it, that. It was one of only two places that you were allowed to consume what you drank, not spit it out <laughs> while you were tasting it. So at first, I signed up for the free buzz. Sure. <laughs> but... Within the first class, I realized that I was actually going to be taking the the greatest class in Mississippi State offered. Absolutely. So the the teacher was a top 100 taster and a top 100 chef. Wow. So he told us the first day was, you know, we didn't do anything. We just talked about what we were going to do. And he said that he was going to cook food from every region in the world. And we were going to taste wine from Italy, France, Spain, Portugal, Australia, and then we're going to go to America. We're going to taste California and, and then like the, up the West Coast, Oregon, Washington. Sure. And then we're going to go into South America and I'm going to cook food for you. And we're going to see why the food is designed to go with the wine and the wine is designed to go with the food. Mm. And then we're going to throw a monkey wrench in it and you're going to taste one that doesn't belong. It wow. was the coolest class I ever took. Now, I made a C in it because there was so much chemistry yeah. because we had to... Not only did we learn how to taste and we understood the grapes, but we had to understand how to make it. Oh, wow. And it was really, really hard. But that is a class that took me to the next level of appreciating the art that is winemaking and how hard it is. Because it's easy to pull the cork out. I can promise you that it's easy to pull the cork out, Gordon. <laughs> they, even, they even have those things that pull them out for you. That's exactly <laughs> that's, right. that's so true. So tell me about your love of wine, and what are your, what are your favorite regions or favorite types of wine? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I'm, I always kid because, you know, there's a, there's a, a bit of a, uh, oh, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> You know, you're a Christian artist. You can't like wine. And I tell them, hey, Jesus turned the water into wine. Baptist turned it into grape juice. You know? So good. <laughs> and, and so uh, Kimberly and I do love a, a nice glass of wine with dinner. Um, I've always wanted to travel and learn about wine. I, I, I love coffee, too. Mm, like, I too. love, you know, different beans from different places and understanding why it tastes the way it does and how they grow it and what kind of temperature and, and you know, from different parts of the world and all that. I would lo love to learn more about that, and I would love to learn more about wine. I know the things that I like, but I don't know why I like them. Yeah. You know, I just love the taste. It's kind of like people tell me all the time, man, I love that song. Man, it just has good beat. I just like it. Well, they don't know why they like it. They just like it. It, right. it. it hits a tone, and it doesn't even matter why they like it. You know, we go to so much trouble in the music business to make everything perfect. And really, um, somebody's going to be listening to it on their iPhone. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter sonically. It matters to us because we care about our craft and mm -hmm. we try to make it the best we can. But at the end of the day, somebody's probably going to be listening to it on their iPhone. So it doesn't matter if we track it at 96K or 48K <laughs> or whatever, you know. Uh, but, it, but, but the wine thing, I'm a red wine guy. Mm -hmm. Now, I do like Pinot Noir. I like, I like that. Uh, but I'm a red wine guy pretty much. I don't really dig white wine. I don't, it's too sweet or too something. I, I don't dig it. Mm -hmm. But um, I do love to have a, a glass or two, and I really enjoy it with a good steak uh, or a good Italian meal. But honestly, 
I just like sitting out on the back porch and having a glass of wine at the end of the day. Yeah. And there's just something, uh, it, it's like having a good cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it just, there's a taste. There's so, I, I, I wouldn't say there is a taste. There's so many tastes. Um, it just makes my taste buds happy because there's so many things yeah. that are going on and I don't know what they are. I just know I like it. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, we love food at our house. I, uh-huh. you know, you can look at me until I hadn't missed many meals. Uh, Welcome we, to the club, sir. Hey, we <laughs> we love to. My wife is such a great cook, and she loves to bake and and uh, and traveling on the road. You know, when when I travel, everybody wants to cook for you. Uh-huh. You know, they want to make your favorite thing. You know, they want to they want to make so uh, good food, good coffee, good wine. Uh, good company, good life, uh, good life. Yeah, man, it, it, you can't uh, you can't beat it. And uh, so, for all those people who are my uh, who, who may know any of my music, and you follow me in the Christian music field, uh, don't think I'm going to hell because I have a glass of wine no, from time to time. Heck no, it's all good. Last question for you, sir, and I I, I couldn't wait to ask you this question. This is one of my. <laughs> This is one of my stock questions that I close on. I always throw in a, a, a thought provoker. Sure. Something that makes you dig in a little bit. Okay. you would be a perfect person for Oh, this. my gosh. So, and this is, I've probably had this on a third of my shows. So the people that are out there listening already know what I'm going to ask. Right. But they haven't heard an answer like yours, I'm sure. Oh, my okay. gosh. Nothing like a good setup. Okay. So, Jason Silva is a good friend of mine. Not a good friend of mine. He's one of my favorite follows in social media. Yeah. And he's a, he's a very forward out of the box thinker and he put on on a video he said in every person's life that we we will experience three deaths Mm. the day in which you find out you're gonna die the day that you die and the final death is when people no longer mention your name wow the the way you conduct your life and the way that you've put forth especially now that i've had a chance to meet you you're doing a very good job of extending life number three Mm. how important is your legacy and what is that that those three deaths that that little phrase about how can you live forever as far as you can how do you go about your life to make that happen Ooh, well um i think especially now that i have you know, a daughter about to get married and she's going to have children and, um, you, um, you, somebody like me who I meet people all the time that say, man, your, your intro on, you know, whatever song, man, I just love to sit at the piano and play that. Or man, your song, uh, mercy walked in, man, that, that man, I, I, I came to the Lord because of that song I, I, that changed my life. You know, things like that. I think it's made me more aware um, over the last 10 years, maybe, that legacy is so important. I'm grateful for the legacy that my parents left us. Uh, my mom and dad are still healthy. Don't get me wrong. They, they, I don't think they're any, I, I, I think they're good. Uh, last time I talked to them, they were, but, um, they left us a great legacy as far as just treating people the way you want to be treated and treating them better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure you put God first family second and whatever it is you do for a living third and make sure that you're always honest. You know, I tell people 
I always just try to be really honest because when the guy comes to work on my air conditioner or I take my car in to get it serviced or, you know, the guy, the plumber comes to the house, they could tell me anything. I don't know anything about that stuff. Yeah. I know enough to get me in trouble, but you're going to use the guy that's honest and he may charge a little more even. Uh, but if he's honest and doesn't try to sell you something you don't need, man, that's, to me, that's a legacy that they're leaving. Uh, you know, you remember these people because of their honesty, because of the way they conduct themselves and conduct business. I want to be, I, I don't, I don't want to just live this life and be forgotten. I want to leave a legacy. I, I want to, all the lessons that I've learned through my life. I was talking to Andy Andrews yesterday. Andy oh, is a New York Times bestseller. One of my all-time favorite authors. He's one of my best buddies. And I was telling Andy, because we were talking about this very thing, uh, because I've done some public speaking and would like to do more in the on the corporate uh, front, because... I don't feel like that God has allowed me to go through all of this crazy stuff in my life just to go through it. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's had me go through these things, the good, the bad, the hurts, the mountaintops, the valleys, the unsure, the all these things, so that I can encourage other people to be all they can be and never take no for an answer. Uh, you know, I've gone into corporations and, and done some conferences and talked about team building and talked about, you know, I remember this, uh, the president of a big mortgage company came up to me and he said, he threw out this crazy number that they wanted to do in, in sales the, in the coming year. And it was like 20 million or $25 million more than they'd done the year before. And he said, I know it sounds crazy. I know in this market that's it's that's crazy, but we're trying to do the impossible, and that's why you're here because you've done the impossible. Now I need you to tell our people how to do that. I don't think God allows us to go through things just so we can learn just ourselves. I yeah. think He has us go through things so that we can teach other people how we did it. And everybody's not going to do it the same. And there are people out there who maybe don't have the faith that I have. Um, and, and I'll tell you, that's been a huge part of what, what I've done, but just knowing Christ as your savior and having that faith that he's always going to be with you is not enough. You have to be willing to get out there and get after it because, uh, you know, I think God honors hard work and I think he honors, uh, a heart that is not sitting there waiting for somebody to do it for you. And, you know, a lot of blind people, they'll take what the government will give them and just kind of wait for a handout. And that makes me sad because they're so capable of doing so much more. But I have never been that guy. I want my legacy to be, hey, man, he never stopped. He was always trying to push the envelope. Let's see what else we can do. Let's see how far we can take this thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, yeah, Gordon provided for his family. He provided... For his friends, he was a giver. Uh, you know, Kimberly and I, we love we love to give because God has given so much to us, and we love to make a difference in people's lives. Um, we're not rich. Um, wish we could do more. But I think when you do what you can with what you have, 
Uh, God honors that. And, uh, but I, th- I want my legacy to be all about giving and, and working really hard and what hard work and faith together, mm-hmm. what that equals. Yeah. It's all about it, man. A legacy is so important and I don't, I don't want to die and be forgotten. I want these things and the music will be here for a long time. Yeah, of course. But I want the people who have had an experience with me, who've, who've been in a room with me. I, I want to be able to think that I've had an influence on them, not just by the music I've played or sang, but by a conversation, or maybe I've encouraged them in some way. And I think all of us need to be about that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, your, your, your last answer there kind of gave me another question. So, <laughs> <laughs> so first thing I want to make a comment is it's just a sad situation when a person can't tell the truth so that they can get your business mm-hmm. yeah. because they don't have enough confidence in themselves. So they have to tell you a lie to get your business. True. Uh, it says a very, that's a very sad situation. It, it tells a lot of stories yeah. outside of that story. That's a very important. That's one to throw that out there. Now, this is my last question. Ah, okay. Who would you place on the Mount Rushmore of piano players in the world in history who are your four favorite piano players oh my lord the most impactful to you well i would say if you're going to talk about a studio guy it would be pig robbins because not only what he played and how many how many legendary intros he came up with and songs he kind of gave the piano you know him and floyd kramer but pig because he was blind Mm-hmm. He kind of, I kind of looked at him and said, okay, these people say it can't be done, but it was done once. And I know it was different then. It's a lot harder now, but it can be done again. Yeah. He was, and he flew my flag really high too when I got into the business. Um, I would say Bruce Hornsby still influences me, makes me, you know, this, just the stuff that he does and his mind and harmonically what he can do and how he thinks. You know, I would say, I don't know if you'd call, I mean, he, he is certainly a piano player, producer guy. I would say David Foster. Um, when I, I mean, you know, he is the essential commercial producer, whatever he's doing. It just sounds like it belongs on the radio. Everything has a hook. Everything has something you can grab onto, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and then maybe I mean ever we've all listened to Billy Joel we've all listened to Elton John we've all I mean you know if you're a piano player Jonathan Kane all those classic yeah. intros you know we've all listened to those guys but I'll be honest with you um the Nashville studio musicians the the piano players in this town people have no idea how incredible, you know, we, we were talking about Tim Akers off air. Tim Akers is a freak. You need to go see the smoking section at third and Lindsley, but that just is the tip of the iceberg of what he can do that. This guy is an incredible arranger. His piano and keyboard skills are off the charts. I I told him one time we worked in the studio together. We've worked a few times uh, on the same date. 
Uh, but I remember telling him one time, dude, every time I work with you and hear you play, it makes me want to go home and practice. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, you know, Jason Webb is another killer piano player in this town. Matt Rawlings, Steve Nathan, uh, John Jarvis, uh, all these cats that I kind of grew up listening to who maybe are a little older than I am, not much, but a little older than I am, but guys that all influenced me. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I am not just influenced by piano players. I'm influenced by producers, by mm-hmm. drummers, guitar players. Um, this town, Nashville, is the home of the greatest musicians on the planet Earth. That's why people come from L.A. Mm-hmm. to record here, in New York to record here, uh, London, all over the planet. You know, um, and so I am just grateful to be part of this community. And some people say, man, Nashville is growing, growing, growing. Yes, it is. It's crazy. But the musician community, as big as it may seem, is still pretty small. It's a family. And Mm -hmm. we love each other and stick up for each other. And at the end of the day, I don't begrudge anybody for anything. I just want to be there to help them when I can, do what I can. This town is full of great producers. I mentioned Scott Hendricks and mm-hmm. Dan Huff. Frank Rogers has been one of my best friends forever. I taught his son Manny forever. <laughs> and he still didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Frank is awesome. I love Frank. Well, he's one of my favorite people in the world. And, uh, you know, I le- one of the things I learned from Frank is if you're going to produce somebody, you better love them. Don't don't produce somebody you don't like to be around because you spend so much time. He told me that one time. He said, mm. "I said, man, you you always have the best artists. We always have so much fun." He said, "Yeah, I don't produce anybody I don't like." He said, "If I don't like to hang out with them, I don't do it." That's he funny. said, "Let that be a lesson to you. If you ever start producing," he said, "and you will." He said, "Because that's 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 your heart and that's what you do. All musicians from the floor, we're all producers." Yeah. But he knew that was in me, and I wanted to do that one day. And he said, "Just don't ever produce somebody you don't like, because you're going to be with them a whole lot." That's funny. But uh, yeah, Frank is one of the. I mean, there's so many incredibly talented guys. You know, the Paul Worleys of the world live here mm-hmm. in Nashville. Yep. You know, uh, we are so blessed in the music community to have. And then, you know, you look at so much of the gospel stuff is done here. So much of the contemporary Christian stuff is is done here. Guys like Matthew West and Stephen Curtis Chapman and people that I love to listen to, yeah. their records. You know, Michael W. Smith. I grew up listening to Michael w. I, This is probably a long answer to your question. But just the people that have influenced me. I mean, I could sit down and play you any Michael W. Smith. I'll tell you a funny story real quick in closing. We did this tribute to Bill and Glory at the Skirmerhorn mm-hmm. a few years ago. And all kinds of artists came in. Uh, Smitty was one of the artists, and I'd never met him. But we knew who each other, he knew who I was, and I certainly, you know, listened to him all my life. Mm-hmm. Got a chance to meet him that night. He was playing a song, a Christmas tune that he and Gloria had written together that he was going to perform on the stage. He hadn't played it in so long, he forgot how it went. So I went over to him and I said, do you want me to show you how this goes? <laughs> because I knew it because I was, man, I, I grew up. I mean, that's the songbook of my life Yeah, is Michael W. Smith and the Imperials and Stephen Curtis and Amy Grant. And, you know, that's a, so to be able to grow up loving these people, want, loving their music, and then to get a chance to shake hands with them, to meet them, and in many cases get to work with them in the studio, man, I'm living a dream. You kidding me? Yeah, got the best family in the world. I got a great, I mean, this beats working for a living. I got that right. 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, I asked Vince Gill this question on my on my radio show once, which was who is the because he's. I, I think he's one of the most underrated guitar players. He's amazing. The, he's really is. Have you been to see Time Jumpers? No, I have not. Well, yeah, you need to. need to do that. I, I sit in with him from time to time. I did a couple gigs with him in December when Jeff Taylor is out of town doing the – he was doing the uh, the Gettys Christmas yeah. tour. I call them the Yetis. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but uh, Jeff, when he and, – and so to be on – I mean, I've worked with Paul Franklin and Larry Franklin and all the – most of the guys on that stage I've worked with in the studio. But when you get on that stage with them and Vince and – uh, all the all the the guys and girls that make up the time jumpers yeah that is probably the best live musical experience in this town that i've had that's awesome and so anybody that wants to see something unbelievable monday nights third and lindsley eight o'clock the time jumpers you don't want to miss it they're amazing that's so anyway cool. your story about yeah, Vince. so i asked him you know, on my show because <laughs> i'm good friends with keb mo and keb mo has always believed that Vince is one of the the very best in the world too. So Clapton used to put on a a big thing in Chicago where he invite his personal eight best guitar players mm. to play with him, and he's always invited Vince. And I said, Vince, who's the best guitar player of all time, Clapton or Hendrix? And he, without a without even batting an eye, he answered it just like you, Virgil. If I told you who the top ten guitarists in the world were, you would have never heard of any of them because they're all session guitarists here in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and they make me look like I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Well, he's kind, and I think he um, under, you know, Vince undersells and overdelivers, you know. Yeah. And uh, both as a singer and a guitar player, he's the consummate musician, just a great musician. And uh, but uh, I remember hearing a Johnny Carson interview when Johnny Carson asked Jimi Hendrix what it feel what does it feel like to be the greatest guitar player of all time and he said I don't know ask Phil Kagi and Phil Kagi's one of, uh, Phil Kagi's one of those guys that I haven't met that I grew up just being so awed by his singing and his guitar playing I've not met him yet uh, I I, I, I want to meet him. But uh, Vince is uh, an ama- not just an amazing musician. Uh, he's an amazing person, and I'm, I'm grateful to know him. And I'm grateful to know all these guys, yeah. man. So many great artists, great session guys, producers, the people behind the scenes, the, guy that, the guys that haul our gear in and out of these studios, the cartage companies, mm-hmm. the engineers, the assistants, uh, the people that, that are our production assistants that book these sessions and keep it all going the people who administrate all these copyrights and i mean people just hear the song on the radio but man there are so many people that have their hands on it before it gets to you and to listen to so man you know i just want to give a shout out and say a thank you and a big appreciation to all the people who make this happen that's beautiful gordon i can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your schedule to come on The Verge and share your story of your life, your music, and your wisdom. You're the best, buddy. I can't, I can't, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Man, thank you for having me on your podcast and uh, look forward to uh, doing this again. Maybe you can teach me how to hit a golf ball. I used to try and hit a golf ball back in the day, but I, I, could, I could putt. I was really good at that, but mm-hmm. hitting it long, I was horrible. Well, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to coach three-time <laughs> national blind golfer, um, David Metter. Oh, my He's gosh. He's a three, three-time national champion. And Dan Dillon is another very mm-hmm. talented 
uh, blind golfer. I've heard of both those guys. Yeah, so very, very cool experience for me because it it, it challenges me to paint better pictures, and that's what it, that's what it's all about. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a picture painter with my words. I can't, once again, thank you very much. I look hey, forward to having you on again. Let's do it. Uh, thank let's you. do it. God bless you, everybody. Uh, that was fantastic.